So I want to jump right in um, this morning to, to God's Word and look at this incredible text. So excited um, as I've been looking at this text and kind of we're looking at um, lessons from the lives of discipleships. And, and uh, Hunter, where's that next slide? We'll talk, you kind of you do your little um, quote, kind of what we've been going through. So here's what we said. Jesus used an ordinary man to accomplish his extraordinary mission. That's kind of what we've been looking at. And so when we come to this text, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. Uh, and so we're going to hang out there um, this morning. But this is kind of our goal. Jesus uses ordinary men, people like you and me, not some kind of super saint or some super extraordinary guy that has all the gifts. Um, because none of us have all the gifts, but he uses just ordinary people um, to do extraordinary, uh, to accomplish extraordinary mission. And today I'll kind of play on that a little bit. And so hopefully you can hear me over the wind. I kind of love this kind of little wind. Um, it's kind of neat. So hey, um, if you have your Bibles, you have your phone, uh, you don't, all you don't have a light like I do. So uh, we'll go at it. And so listen, I want to kind of get into context, right? So whenever time you come to a passage, I always say this, context, context, context will dictate kind of the passage. And so you need to understand the context of what's going on before you kind of jump into the text. And so I want to give us just a real quick jump into this. Here's the context that has taken place. Before I do that, I want to just start off with a statement. Because here's what I want us to know. Then we look at, from the perspective, we're going to look at the text. Um, if you want to see how this text looks like, Rich preached this last November. Um, this, I'm looking at Luke's side. He preached on the Mark side. If you want to see how he looks at it from a storm perspective, I'm going to look at it from a different lens this morning because I want us to look at how God uses ordinary men. So Peter, James, and John, I want to look at it from the perspective that how does Jesus train his people to do the extraordinary mission that he calls us to do? And so I kind of want to look at it through that lens um, this morning. But here's one thing I've learned, that faith must be tested before it can be trusted. You know, it's one thing to gain a new spiritual truth, but it's a whole other thing to put that into practice in everyday living. So I want to know that, hey, faith must be tested before it can be trusted. And so what we have in the context here, I think we have like four different tests that are taking place. And we're going to look at two of them this morning. Remember, Jesus is trying to equip his disciples he knows that one day he will leave them and they will be on their own. Yes, he will send his spirit. And so he is trying to prepare them for their future extraordinary mission. And so here's the background. So if you drop back, here's kind of the four tests. The first one, you kind of know that because when we come to verse 40, it says Jesus comes back, right, across from the ocean. So before then, he just finished casting out that the demons, right, the, the legion, passed him out. Before then, Jesus calms the storm. And so we have the first test is that you'll see if you're reading that text, you go, hey, he, he's talking about it, kind of dangerous circumstances. And so you can kind of see the disciples, right? Disciples, what did they do, man? They looked outward and saw danger. They looked inward and saw fear when they should have been looking up in faith toward God. Uh, let me just stop there because I want you to notice that faith and fear cannot dwell in the same heart. It's going to be an important lesson for the disciples to understand. Faith and fear cannot dwell in the same heart. So he talks about the dangerous circumstances where he calms the sea. And they were scared. They, hey, we're going to get to the other side. And then he goes and across the ocean and he comes to the demons. And Jesus shows the test even over Satan and the power of demons. 
And Jesus never does these by accident. He's, he's doing something. He's always saying, yes, here's the micro picture. But let's look at the ma macro. Let's look at the big picture. Jesus is going to teach them something that they're, each one of these guys are going to have to face. And then we come to verse 40. And I'm just going to kind of walk through this text with us. And I want us to kind of look at it from a various perspectives. I want us to look at it. But, I mean, what do we learn about Jesus? Kind of what do we learn about ourselves? What do we learn about men? What are some things maybe we shouldn't do, or how does man shouldn't should not respond, and how should man respond? And then at the end, man, we're just going to apply it to our lives. And so I want to look at it that way this morning. I want us to dive into this uh, text this morning. And so I'm going to stand here because it's a little easier to see Claude understand why you use your phone. But my notes are on my iPad, and so it's hard for me to do both. Uh, so all right, here's what it says. So now when verse 40, it says, now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him. Already, all right, so again, we're, and we're going to walk through these characters, right? So all of a sudden, man, Jesus comes back from an area. Uh, if you look up just a couple verses before there, um, they were like, hey, Jesus, leave. We don't want you anymore. Um, you're taking away our prophet. Hey, get away. So he just came from a place where they were trying to run him out. Now he comes to a place where it says, the crowd welcomed him, and they were all waiting for him. Interesting for me. It'd be fascinating that Jesus just finished being kind of did something incredible, cast out these demons, threw them in the swine. All of a sudden, um, they ran him off. He comes back, and here's his people on the other side who are welcoming him, and uh, they're waiting for him. Well, why is this crowd waiting for him? Why are they welcoming him? Probably at this point. And they've heard, right? Who doesn't like something that's happening? Remember, this is before Twitter. This is before any kind of social media. This is before, like, even, like, Telegram. I mean, but word had got around about, hey, this Jesus guy, man, he's doing some pretty incredible stuff. And if you do some incredible stuff, you can draw a crowd. And so we see this crowd. We learn about who we are, right? What do we learn about men? Men, we, we love a show. We want to say, hey, listen, we want to kind of go see it. This is what they're doing. They're waiting for him. And then our next character enters the scene. And what I want us to look at this morning um, as we continue to go, and, uh, and when I took this text, just when I said I want to look at what God says, what man says, what is it not to obey, and what do we obey, I went through this, all this text, went through two different tools I use, one for a devotional teaching text, one I do for a leadership text. How do I look at the gospel and acts from a leadership principles? I pull some tools out to do that. And uh, when I did this, this is what I came up with, is because we're, we're going to look at guys. Now, what I, what I will argue is that we'll see it through this whole text that Jesus is sovereign. What I love about this is that God makes himself available to do the incredible by his pursuit, by his power, and by his purpose. What I want to say is, God, you'll see, you'll see Jesus who pursues. You'll see God who is Jesus who is powerful. But you'll also see who, whatever Jesus does is purposeful. And so I want us to look at that. And we'll look at, I'm going to look at the first two as we walk through the text. And then we'll walk through the last one when I'll look at Peter, James, and John. Specifically, um, uh, Jesus' teaching as far as purpose. And so in verse 41, there came a man named... Jairus. Jairus, right? All right, now we got a name. we got an individual. we got someone. Who, and who is Jairus? Ruler of the synagogue. All right, so this guy is a ruler of a synagogue. And this guy, he's running the shop. Right? He's running the shots. He's telling people, hey, you do this, this, bring this, bring that. Um, he's the one to make sure, hey, everything's lined up to go. So we got somebody whose name 
and kind of what he does, his office. This is a guy that we would say is a person of means. This guy is a person that has financial. This is a guy, a person probably is a somewhat of clout in the community. Before Jesus was on the other side, more of a Gentile community, now we realize, hey, he's coming into a Jewish context here, culturally. And so here's this guy named Jairus. In fact, that a ruler of the synagogue would come up to Jesus, well, is saying something even about Jesus. Hey, listen. Maybe we should listen to this guy. He's gaining some notoriety. He's, he's kind of, people are saying, hey, maybe we should listen to this guy. And so Jarius, a ruler of a synagogue, and what does he do? It's interesting to me. I look at it because I'm looking at, hey, what, is, what can I learn about man? What can I learn about myself? What can I learn about Jesus? And here's what this guy does, who's a ruler of someone of a cloud and someone means. And what does he come and do? He comes and he falls down at Jesus' feet. And he implored him to come to his house. For he only had a, what? A daughter. In the Greek there, it means this is his only child. What was wrong with her? She's about 12 years old. She was dying. She was sick. Interesting to me. I look at this again and I go, whoa, hey, check this out. You got Jarius, who's a person. All of a sudden, man, he throws himself at Jesus' feet. Isn't that interesting? For me, I, I just hung out here for a little bit as I'm looking at this going, hey, who are we naturally? I got it. I mean, let's think about it, man. Listen, I've been married 20 years, and I'm still learning. Like your wife shares something wrong, what do we automatically try to do? And what does she want you to do? Man, I'm glad we learned, all right? Yeah. <laughs> That's on audio, too. All right, hey, we learned, right? When we first early married, what do we always want to do? We just want to fix it. Because why? We think we can do it. We think we can fix it. Here's a guy who goes, hey, I don't care about if you know who I am. I don't care if you know about what my job is, my office. Evidently, he's probably tried going to a priest or a high priest and try to get help for his daughter, and that's been of no help. And he has come to a point and goes, hey, listen, I don't care about my pride or what other people think. He says, I'm coming to Jesus. Well, I kind of think he teaches us how we ought to come to Jesus. Also, I think he teaches us that maybe we should have come to him before but I love that. When crisis hits our life, everything else goes out the door. He's had his daughter, beautiful daughter, for 12 years, been the light of his life. And my daughter is 12. I can imagine all of a sudden, if I come to the point in my life right now, where my daughter all of a sudden got some sickness where she is leading to death, that would devastate me. You better believe I'd be on my knees at the feet of Jesus, crying out. So we learn about Jarius here. What I love about this is that Jesus, again, we see him. He comes, the crowd welcomes him. This guy comes up and Jesus doesn't say, hey, listen, I'm busy, man. I just had this incredible weekend of packed. Man, I just caught the storm, just cast out. You don't know how many demons in the swine. Listen, I, I just need a break. Now, Jesus always makes himself available to, to do the incredible. Listen to me. Jesus always does make himself available to do the incredible. We talk about God using ordinary for us to accomplish for man to accomplish the extraordinary, I would say God will do the extraordinary to teach the ordinary. So, what does Jesus do? And Jesus what? Says he went. And Jesus went. I love this. And what do the people do? The people press in around him. Jesus goes, all right, man, I'm going to go with you. Let's do it. I'm making myself available to do the incredible. And so Jesus goes, and he goes with them. The people press. And if you have the old New King James, I had to look up the word. It says it thronged them. 
They pressed in and they're going. And I want you to know there's a difference here because you'll see the crowd, they're there and they're pressing in. And then what happens here? He says, and there was a woman. No name for this person. We don't get that she was some kind of famous person. So we get a different perspective, a different scene. He's on his way to do something to help this person of, we would say, of clout. Also, another person comes into the story, a woman who we don't know. What's her issue? Another sickness, right? Here we go. We see sickness again. Who had been discharged for blood for 12 years. Been hard. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. Luke is telling us this. But Mark would go on to say, hey, listen, not only is she not any better, she's actually worse. She's been any kind of means she had to try to get healing. She's been going to doctors trying to get better, and she hasn't been getting better. And so imagine this person, imagine this woman. Listen, she, physically, I mean, she's, she's hurting. Would you agree with this statement when you're typically physically hurting? You're typically emotionally hurting? I know when I'm in a little pain, when I'm in a little pain, I, sometimes I can be a little bit shorter. <laughs> I might have a little quicker temper uh, if I'm a little pain. Let's just be honest. Women handle pain better than men. Uh, we get a little sick. I, I, I still want my wife to kind of treat me like, like I'm a little kid. Uh, we do that, right? We just, we just all, it's all those guys who don't handle pain that well. And so this woman, she's been sick. She has this pain. She's emotionally distraught. But I want you to know this. She's also ceremonially unclean. She's defiled. She's been cut off from all religious life in her nation, among her people. This lady is distraught. She's been distanced. She's demoralized. You can keep going with all the deeds you want. But man, she is just devastated. So here we go. Verse 44, she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. Back then, if you remember, we know in Numbers that Jesus said, hey, on your garments, I want you to kind of kind of hem them up with this blue thread and, uh, and then have the tassels at the end. And according to Numbers, those tassels would be there. Hey, I want you to remember the commandments that I have given you and that your heart won't give to the harlotry that our eyes are so inclined to. And so he said, hey, use blue thread and put those tassels so when you look down, you will remember these things. Now then... Most of your priests were kind of making the tassels a little bigger, because right, because they want to be bigger on the show. So she comes up and she touches that tassel, that blue thread. And immediately her discharge of the blood ceased. Amazing. Now get this. So look at the next thing. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? Now I go, well, man, why did Jesus ask that question? Right? Like, does Jesus not know who touched him? What's going on here? Remember, don't think it like here. Think here. Of course he knows. What's he want to do? So what, how do people respond when they said that? Look at that text. What does it say? Who touched me? What did they say? Who was it that touched me? What's the next phrase? When all denied it. All denied it. Guess who else denied it? The woman denied it as well. And interesting to me. She's just been healed. She realized it immediately that she's been healed. And what does she immediately do? Denied it. Why do you think she denied it? 
Do what? Didn't have permission. Didn't have permission? Unclean. Unclean? Yeah. Do what? Didn't want the attention. Didn't want the attention. Think about it. In that culture, a woman who's been ceremonially unclean, and if you touch something and you're unceremonially unclean, that usually becomes unclean itself, which is also another whole story on the side note that Jesus got touched by something ceremonially unclean, and he himself is not unclean. Pretty amazing in itself. But yeah, shame. Right? Like our natural, when we learn ourselves, we're, we're quick to deny something. We're not so sure if we want to be in that spotlight. We're not so sure. You're right. Maybe we did it. Maybe we didn't have permission. We'd be angry. We'd be upset. And shame sometimes causes us and hinders us to come to Jesus like we should. I think we learn a lot about ourselves when we just read this text. And so who speaks up? Peter's going to speak up, man. Remember, Peter's the one that's always going to say, hey, permit me to walk on water. Hey, Jesus, listen, I'll never deny you. Like, if anybody's going to speak up, Peter's going to be the one that's going to speak up. Not sure what he's going to say. A lot, a lot of times Peter says, Peter's the apostle with a shoe-shaped mouth. I mean, it's Peter's going to do it, right? So it's obvious, clearly, that Peter would probably say something here. And so Peter says, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. Like, I don't know what kind of tone he did it in, but I'm like, you just see Peter, Jesus, seriously? I mean, everybody's around touching you, man. Come on. Like, what do you mean who touched you? They're, everybody's touching you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceived that power has gone out from me. Not that he's lost any of his power or who he is, but he realized that someone has touched him differently than anybody else. See, I think sometimes we learn that we as a crowd, man, we'd like to come around and be a part of something. But Jesus is interesting enough to touch by faith. A lot of times we can come in, I've seen people go to church their whole life, and it's about a crowd, but Jesus is interested more about the personal touch. He's more interested about you and my heart. And so here we go, man. So here he says it. The woman goes in verse 47, and when the woman saw that she was not hidden. I'm trying to picture this scene in my head, this woman here. All of a sudden now she's exposed. There. My guess is she nailed up. She's at the ground level, and people back up and notice, hey, no one's standing. She's there. And she realizes what she wasn't hidden. Now look at the response. Guys, I think right now this is a good response of how you and I and people need to come. And she came trembling. And I don't know what that trembling because she's scared. She did something without permission. Or the fact that she understands who he is and what just happened. The fact that I'm trembling because, one, I, like I've just been healed. I mean, I'm just shaking for the sheer fact of what's taking place. Some of my trips to Thailand, we've actually seen some physical healings. It's absolutely incredible. Anytime you see a physical healing, I want you to know it's always to increase someone's faith or draw someone to Christ in faith. And falling down before him, another thing, falling down, right? So we see two instances of this taking place. And declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she'd been immediately healed. Here, here's what I love. She was immediately healed. She came out, she said, all right, let me just tell you what happened. Public proclamation of what's taken place. I think that's important. She touched him. Jesus entered her life. She touched him. But listen, first, her, her first thing was, man, I'm not so sure. But just listen, tell you what, Jesus, when you come to him in faith, he's going to ask you to publicly proclaim him. There's a part of that step. Right? That's why we get baptized, is that public profession of an outward show of an inward decision. Like, that's why we baptize. Part of the thing is, hey, this is an outward sign. This is a public profession. And she unashamedly did it. 
right here. And what does Jesus say to him? Daughter. Oof. Think about some of you men who have daughters. He doesn't say woman. By the way, never say that to your wife. Just saying. He says daughter. A, tear, a word of, tear, uh, of endearment. Because later on we'll see something similar. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Fascinating. Here's what I say. This is why I say God, he shows his power by his healing. But God shows that he pursues. What I mean by this, Jesus always pursued. First thing he said, who touched me? All hit. She denied. She could have kept kind of going away. But Jesus goes, no, 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 listen, I've, I've perceived that power has gone out for me. No, we're going to stop. Why? Because Jesus knows that she needs more than just physical healing. And God knows what you need is more than just physical healing. He, he, he knows this, and so he will pursue you. I love this. This is a God who pursues. Think about the Garden of Eden, man. Hey, Jesus comes to the garden. Hey, where are you? And what, what does Adam and Eve do? Man, we better go hide ourselves after something shameful happened, after they sinned. This woman was shameful. And again, we see this image of Jesus throughout Scripture, that Jesus, even though in our shame, God still pursues us. And Jesus still pursues this lady, pursues this woman, and calls her daughter because Jesus knows she needs more than physical healing. She needs emotional healing, and she needs spiritual healing. And so she is made by her faith, has made her well. We can see the spiritual healing. healing. And then she says, go in peace. She means that emotional, mental healing. Fascinating to me. When I look at that text, I see what Jesus does, that he pursues, he shows his power. And now he wants part of our body. He wants every aspect of us, who we are. He wants to capture that and restore that and renew that so that, you, that we can be more effective for his kingdom. Beautiful picture of who Jesus is. We'll continue to see God pursues and God's power. So while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Hey, your daughter. Your daughter's no longer with us. She's dead. Hey, don't trouble that teacher anymore. Fascinating to me again. Jerry has just seen what's taking place, right? So, hey, Jerry, I'll go with you. Boom. All of a sudden, this woman instance takes place. Disciples, all the disciples this moment are still there as well, right? Remember, because there's a bigger teacher than just, hey, for this woman to get healed. He's trying to teach disciples. He's also already, I think, trying to teach Jairus at this moment as well. He's shown Jairus, hey, listen, see what I, see what's happening here? Woman, 12 years, all of a sudden healed. I don't want to just heal her physically. I want emotional and spiritual as well. And all of a sudden the news comes and says, hey, don't bother him anymore. And we see Jesus' response. But when Jesus hearing this, he answered, do not fear. Why did he say do not fear? Because Jairus, after what he had just solved, what did he do? Man, I mean, he's devastated. He thinks, I got here too late. This Jesus, he's great, but I don't know if he can do this. He, I seem to have power of sickness, but man, not, how, do you, how do you conquer the test of death? <laughs> so he's discouraged, devastated again. What does Jesus do? Jesus pursues. And he's about to show his power again. He says, hey, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him. Except, here we go, here's our topic, Peter, James, and John. Or Peter, John, and James. And by the way, anytime you see the disciples listed, you always see Peter, number one. You always see James, John, and probably Andrew together. They're always the top four, right? And so here these three are together. 
And there's two other circumstances where they're together as well. And so, um, and Hunter will teach you one of those next week. Um, and the father, the mother, and the child. And they were all, they were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep for she is not dead but sleeping. And back then they would have these professional mourners and they would have been weeping and they would have been going at it. And he says, hey, listen, don't, don't. Hey, matter of fact, get out, get out, get out. He said, man, listen, she's, she's not dead, but she's sleeping. And when they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead, but taking her by the hand, he called her and said, child, arise. And in Mark's passage, he says, Talitha Kumi, speaks Aramaic here. A little girl, arise, wake up. And her spirit returned to her. So people say, hey, was she really sleeping? Was she really dead? This is one of the other, one of the, this is the second instance we have someone raising from the dead. First one was in chapter 7, right? The boy, the widow's son who, who, who died and, and Jesus healed and raised him up from the dead. And here we go, we got another one. Here's what I want you to look at. Verse 30, oh, sorry, no, that's not true. 55, it's small numbers. And her spirit returned. Well, in James 2.26, it says, For as the body without the spirit is dead... So faith without works is dead also. Was she sleeping or was she dead? And she was dead. That's why her spirit returned. Because the scripture says, the body without the spirit is dead. And I'll come back to the sleeping part in a second. She got up at once and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what happened. Interesting here. I mean, there's so many points that are so much fun stuff that you can jump into and jump. I mean, it's, it's really cool stuff. Because culturally, before he said, told the demon person in, before this in chapter, says, hey, go back to your town. Don't come with me. Go tell everyone. Here he tells the parents, don't tell what happened. Contextual context, right? Gentile community versus a Jewish community. Fascinating. Interesting that this is the second time he says, give her something to eat. The first one, he told the boy, hey, rise up. He sat up. He said, speak. And he spoke. This one, he says, give her something to eat. And then Lazarus, who would be another person he'd raised from the dead, he says, take off your grave clothes. I just think when God gives us new life, like the first one, we ought to change the way we speak. We ought to change our appetite. We ought to change the way we walk, the way we dress. I think it's fascinating, this new life, these physical images that Jesus gives what he does. One he says to speak, one he says to eat, one he says to change your clothes. It's new life that he's given to us. Alright, here's what I want to really focus in on because I think I want us to look at Peter, James, and John. Close in here shortly. So I can look at this text and I go, what does Jesus really want to teach, right? So he does something incredible for Jairus. He does something incredible for this woman, not only Jairus, but the mother and for the girl. Why these? Why is, why is the woman there for the other disciples? But why does Peter, James, and John right here with this story? What, what is it that Jesus wants to teach them? Remember, Jesus always thinks of something about bigger than we look at the text. He, he's trying to, to disciple. He's trying to model something. So I'm just going to look at these guys. Let's look at Peter. Two times we have Peter's name in here. Right? They, they all denied it. Next verse. Peter said, fascinating. Think about this. This woman who was shamed, who'd been touched, who'd seen something incredible, had something incredible happen to her, all of a sudden denies that anything happened to her. 
denies the very thing. But Peter. But then Jesus pursues and restores. Now, what do we know about Peter? Just think of a rooster. Peter's seen Jesus do incredible things. I'll never deny you. I'll never deny you. What does Peter do? Peter denies him. And then what does Jesus do after the resurrection? Uh, Peter, he goes and pursues Peter. And what does he do? Peter, do you love me? By the way, three times. And feed my sheep. Fascinating. Jesus already showing Peter, listen, I know you're going to fall, you're going to get down, and you're going to seem like you're worthless and shame is going to come on, but listen, I'm still going to pursue you because I'm not done with you. The very fact that Jesus in here is teaching something a better, uh, just a picture, hey, listen, I'm showing you little glimpses, I'm trying to prepare you for this test that you're going to face a little bit later. You're going to be devastated because you will deny, but I want you to know I'm still going to come and pursue you. Hey, listen, men, there's things that we've done that we have shame in our lives. But I need you to lose that Jesus still pursues you and still has a plan for you and still wants to do incredible things with you and myself. He still has an extraordinary mission that he wants to do through your life, through your marriage, through you to touch your kids, your grandkids. Fascinating to me. And let's look at Peter again, right? So now we have this story, real story, of this girl. This one, man, when I looked at this, I go, this is really cool. So uh, you might not think it's cool, but I think it's cool. Jesus is always trying to teach something. So when I was a missionary, if I'm discipling someone, I can teach them a text or I can walk with them and show them how to do it. Right? Which is the better way? Right, right. You know, if you go to a grocery store, hey, where I need my food? Or where I need this? Say, hey, there's the aisle. Go to it. Typically, if you go to a good Home Depot, you say, hey, where's this? What do they do? They should grab you, walk with you, and take you right to the place. Hey, I think our discipleship ought to look more like what we see here in Scripture. And so here comes Jesus. He... He heals this little girl. I mean, you look at the details. What's he do? Look at verse 54. But taking her by the hand, he called the child, saying, Child, arise. Now, if you jump over to Acts, then it's not going to be on the screen. Chapter 9. And my hands are cold. And the print is small. My heart's warm. It's pumping. All right, look, look at this. I love it fascinating. Jesus is teaching them something. So it says this in verse 40. says, this is Dorcas, right? She's, she's passed. All of a sudden, um, the widows, everybody out there, you see people are weeping. Verse uh, 39, they're weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside. What did Jesus do when he came into this girl? He put them all outside. The other thing to learn about Jesus he don't care about being the greatest showman. He doesn't care what people know or think. He really is just about the person. He doesn't care about the fame. He's not curious about being a celebrity pastor. He's not caring about being a celebrity healer. He's not doing it for show. And so he's already showing Peter what to do. And so Peter puts them all outside. And he knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, remember in Mark, if you look at the Mark chapter 5 passage, he says, Talitha kumi. Here he says, Tabitha, arise. Fascinating to me. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand. I mean, even into the detail where Jesus took the girl's hand, you see Peter taking the hand, and he's, he's just falling, puts him outside, he's doing it. Jesus is showing him, he's modeling it, he's watching him, hey, do this, come in and see with me, because one day you're going to do this. Jesus is always painting a bigger picture that he's trying to prepare. 
And then I think sometimes with our kids, we fail to realize that, or our grandkids, that you're actually preparing them for where you're at right now and where I'm at right now. How do we raise up that next generation? How do we pass that torch well? Oof. I love looking at this text through those lens. Then you have James and John, the sons of thunder we heard from Claude last week. Think about that. Peter, big mouth. James and John, big mouths. Second last test was death. James would be the first apostle to die. Peter would be told how he was going to die. John would be the last. So death is a significant thing. Today there's a funeral at 2 o'clock. We celebrate the life. And what is it about death? James would be the first martyr. James, I want you to come see this. Hey, don't fear. Hey, by the way, she's only sleeping. She's not really dead. She's dead. So why does Jesus say, don't, hey, no, no, she's just sleeping. What is Jesus saying there? He's trying to tell, hey, Peter, James, and John, here's what I want you to know. Man, this is a good, this is a good nugget, at least for me it is. Hey, I don't want you to fear death no more than you feel than you fear sleeping. Come on. Like, I don't want you to fear death any more than you fear sleeping. Do you fear sleeping going at night? Now, some of us have some aches and pains that might be a little more uncomfortable, but I don't want you to fear death any more than you fear sleeping. She's not dead. She's just asleep. So don't fear death any more than you fear sleep because be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's a glorious thing. Yes, it's outer shell, but man, we don't die. Just don't fear death because James is going to be the first one we know in Acts to go to that. He's going to be the first one. Hey, don't fear it. Don't let it hinder you because fear and faith can't dwell in the same heart. And Jesus not only shows his power and he pursues people, but he also shows his purpose. And here he's showing his purpose. Listen, I don't want you to fear death. And the way that Jesus takes this little girl's hand and takes the mother and the father in this intimate and compassionate way. And you looked at, we learned last week about James and John from Claude. These guys are loud mouth, man. You would not say these are compassionate guys. I find it fascinating that an apostle of John who we would say, I mean, listen, John's black and white, man. These early stages, I mean, they're ready, next chapter over, they're ready to call down fire. Hey, Jesus, why don't you call down fire just like you did on Samaria? I mean, they're ready just to destroy things. Interesting that John also is known as the apostle of love. Fascinating to me. And it's here in these moments where he sees Jesus model love, model compassion. Not always in a race. He's available always to make himself do the incredible. Why? Because love drives him. His purpose drives him. He understands. And so when you read John, all his writings, it has to be through the lens of what he learned from Jesus. And so Jesus is very intentional. This is the first instance we have Peter, James, and John together. The next one would be the Mount of Transfiguration. And the last time we have these three together is in the garden. Of Gethsemane. The hunter will talk on next week on part two. This one, these three learn about the victory we have over death. The Mount of Transfiguration, they'll learn that Jesus will be glorified in his death. And then we learn in the garden, man, that Jesus, they'll learn that Jesus surrendered to death. And death is not something to be feared, just like we don't fear sleep. I think it's incredible that these three guys are together in these three instances and they have to do with death. So men, I just think when we look at certain things, the 
can't be fearful of death. And so when I look at this text, I go, I mean, how did Jesus purposefully use his pursuit and purpose and his power to change Peter, James, and John's life? So anytime I come to a text, I always ask this one question. You can look at the text yourself and, and say, all right, man, from what I see, how man operates and how Jesus operates, you can see some things that we shouldn't do as men. Probably shouldn't hide from Jesus. You can learn some things, man. How should we come to Jesus? Jairus falls at his knees. The woman falls at his knees. Peter and James, they come in and when Jesus speaks, they obey. So here's my question for you. I don't know what Jesus will do in your heart. I don't have these lists of questions like I know we normally do. We break up in groups. But you can break up in groups. And here's my one question. I would think through this text today. And here's, here's my one question I want you to think about. And it's pretty simple because we're probably running late. Hey, from this, what, what is something that I see that we need to obey that I can apply this week? Man, what is one truth in here? I go, hey, you know what? This week I, I need to do this or I will do this. And it could be I need to share something with someone. It could be, hey, I need to figure out my discipleship me better. It'd be, it could be that just the way I approach Jesus needs to be a little bit better. Could be, hey, am I looking at even the text in the right lens? I mean, a lot of different things. And so, um, hey, if you want to take a moment, what I'd love for you to do is just, hey, at least circle up. And uh, as men, I think it's good that we say, hey, I want to do this this next week. And then pray for each other. So uh, do that. And I went way long. So, um, hey, about 10 minutes and, and just break up and, and do that. Just, hey, from this text, man, I want to do this this week. And then just pray for each other. I think we need men who pray. All right. Thank you, men.